0: You are listening to East of Eden, a sermon series presented in the summer of 2008 at Hocas Baptist Church. Today's sermon is entitled, Wandering East of Eden. And now, Pastor John. I'd like to welcome you uh, to Hocas Baptist if you're a visitor. Uh, A special welcome to you. And uh, you're joining us uh, on the second Sunday of of a sermon series we've entitled East of Eden. Uh, and today we're talking about lineages, uh, which, if you're looking at your bulletin, there's probably some of you out there going, it's not possible that this guy's going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about lineages. It's true, it'll probably be 35 minutes. Um, <laughs> But here's the deal about lineages. It's the same thing with other people's photo albums. You don't really care about them because it's other people's photo albums, right? Our photo albums and our home movies of our family and our, in like the seven hours when you film your first newborn, where they just sit there and we're like, oh, that's so cute. Nobody else likes it, right? This is just my, this is my gentle word out to you that nobody else likes it because it's not their kid, right? Same with photo albums. what's important to us about the photo albums and the movies is they remind us of our lives, right? It's not that they're significant in and of themselves. And uh, I think what's going on there is kind of how we deal with these lineages. When we open up Scripture and we see that so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, 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 we're kind of like, whatever, right? It's not my family. This is the Bible's photo album. And I'm not that interested in the Bible's photo album, But today, I hope what we can do is show you that this is your family lineage. And the question today, this question that's going to sit with us as we we meditate on the scriptures is, we in this room are members of one of two families. And they're both going to be talked about today, and we're going to look at both lineages. And so this is truly going to be a conversation of who is your family. And so with that, if you'll pray with me, and then we'll get started. Father, I pray a blessing on your word on this service on our people, Lord, I just ask that you would, um, your spirit would elevate the words from these scriptures and put them in our hearts, and that your spirit would work in us to make us more of who you would have us be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, uh, if, you, uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. We'll pick up there. As you're turning there, and, and by the way, it's important to us that you uh, read Scripture along with us. So it's one of the foundations of our church uh, that we preach what, uh, the Scriptures. And so if you didn't bring your Bible or if you, if you would like one, there's one in the back. Uh, you Feel free to grab one. If you don't own one, you can keep it. It beats a coffee mug, doesn't it? You know. Uh, but we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 4. And while you do that, I'll, I'll just sum up a little bit of last week. We're starting in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, which finds Cain standing in a field with blood on his hands. That's kind of where we got last week. It's last week we talked about the offering of Abel, that it was acceptable because it was worship. And we've had hints of that this morning as we've, we've led up to the message. And Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable because Cain never worshipped. And today we find the aftermath of his sin, right? His, sin, his anger and his sin and his bitterness culminated and built up and it finally spilled over And the murder of his brother. And today we're going to pick up in chapter 8, verse 16. And so I'll read, I'll read, um, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 8 through 16. So this is how it starts. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth and received your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth." Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let me read that last verse one more time. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, that's our first section of reading. And what I want to start to focus on today is the nature of God's punishment to Cain. Because it's peculiar. The nature of God's punishment to Cain. And the first thing I want you to notice is how God is merciful in the way he punishes Cain. Right there's mercy in the way he approaches. He approaches through questioning, and there's mercy in the way he punishes because you know and I know what Cain really deserves. Right, it's in your mind. Cain killed his brother. Right, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Cain, Cain himself knows it. By the way, if you if you remember what he said, he says this to the Lord when the Lord punishes him. He says, "Your punishment is more than I can bear, Lord. You're casting me from my fields." Right, because Cain's a farmer. So. You've taken away my livelihood. You've taken me from your presence. And he says, And you've made me a wanderer on the earth. And anybody who sees me is going to kill me. Cain's saying, uh, Apparently Cain thought this was a secret. His little act in the field. Apparently he figured no one would know. But the fact that God is the wiser, has, It seems to have him realize that everyone else will know. Right? Cain's saying, God, the secret's out. And when my brothers and sisters, Right? Who are around. When they, when they hear... What I did, they're going to kill me. And you see this idea of God showing him mercy in the way he punishes him. By protecting him with a mark. The Lord says, Cain, you're okay, I'll mark you. And those who see you will not kill you. The second thing we see in this punishment is that the punishment fits the crime, but not the crime that Cain committed against Abel. The punishment fits the crime that Cain has committed against the Lord. right? You and I think the sin is murder, but God isn't saying that. God is saying the sin of Cain is that he refuses to live in my presence. right? Since the very beginning of the account of Cain and Abel, God came to Cain and said, I can't accept your offering because you won't worship me. Right? But God would say, but there's a way to be. There's a way to be with me. There's a way to live with me. There's a way to worship me. And it's not too hard. And Cain refused it. Right? God approaches him again about the murder of Abel and says, where's your brother? And Cain's response is, I don't know where my brother is. What? Am I my brother's keeper? And so God is saying, Cain, if you refuse to live with me, then I will refuse to live with you. And that's the punishment. The punishment of the real crime is that Cain repeatedly and patently denies God in his life. And that's usually what we see in life, right? We wonder why people's crimes don't get what they deserve. You need to remember that God judges according to the crime against him. right? In Psalm 51, David understands it when he says, Speaking of his adultery and his murder of Uriah the Hittite, what does he say? He says, To you and you alone, alone, Lord, have I sinned. Because he realizes that the penultimate violation when we sin is not to one another, right, but is to God. And that's what needs to be dealt with. So that's where the Lord judges him. Is he says, I'm banishing you from my presence because you refuse to live in my presence. You will be a wanderer and live a life of wandering. And so at the end here, we say that Cain leaves. He's sent away into this land of Nod, which translates wandering not as a land of wandering. And so God says, away with you, Cain. You will be a wanderer in the land of wandering. And this land of wandering is east of Eden. And it brings this to mind the name of the sermon series, East of Eden, and this idea that one generation from Adam and man has moved farther away from Eden. Remember we talked about last week, we said that what's unique about moving east of Eden the first time was You think all is lost, right? Ah, they're out of the paradise, right? They left Eden. But what we find is they may have left paradise, but Adam and Eve did not leave the presence of God. God still shows up. God still weighs in their life. He converses with them. All of chapter 4 is a conversation God is having with Cain. And so we realized last week that life outside the garden is less than what God intended, but it isn't a life of absence from the Lord. But what we see here is Cain has taken it to another quantum level right? Cain is not only east of Eden, he's east of east of Eden. He's not only out of paradise of God, but God says, you are now out of my presence. Go. And so there's this progression that we see building in, in these chapters of Genesis that shows up in the second generation that he's now away from the presence of God. If you're wandering, you're not following God and you're going to be away from his presence. I wonder, I wonder as we think about this, as we mull it over, we ask ourselves, how is it that we deny God's presence in our life? How is it that when when God shows up and speaks to us with merciful questions, why are you doing what you're doing, the Lord says? You know that is not what I will. I wonder how often we just say, God, I I would just rather you not be here right now. And I wonder at what point the Lord is going to say, fine. If you don't want me here, then I will not be here. And you will feel what wandering is really like. Because that's what Cain is set for. So what does it mean to wander? Well, here's where our first lineage comes in. Right? The Bible is going to use a lineage to describe what it means to wander to us. And so chapter 4 picks up, just after this curse, with this lineage of Cain. So let me read it. I'll start in verse 17. He moves east of Eden, and it says, As Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and to Erod was the father of Mahuziel, and to Mahuziel was the father of Methusiel, and to Methusiel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adah and the other Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played the harp and the flute. Zillah had an, also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Namah. Lamech said to his wives, Adon, Zalah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, let Lamech 77 times. So that's the lineage of wandering. And the first thing we see, if we're paying attention, if we're critical readers, the first thing we notice from a lineage following Cain is that God is expressly concerned that you and I know that he was kept his word. Right? Because what's the promise to Cain? The promise to Cain is, I will mark you and I will preserve you. And when we read this, if you read it closely, you find yourself going, it's bizarre. Not only did God preserve Cain, but he seemed to have blessed Cain. Right? I mean, this is, it's weird. At the very end of this lineage, you find that through Cain's line, there there was the herding and the tending of flocks was developed. Through his son Jubal was this, this idea of harps, harps and lyres and music. That's where we get the term Jubilee or Jubilant is from Jubal in this, in this very passage. Tubal Cain was this father of metallurgy. And so you're reading there going, doesn't sound like much of a punishment, does it? God banishes him from his presence, but he preserves him. And not only does he preserve him, but he thrives. And this is what we, we say in theological circles as common grace. That... We thought thought all was ended when we got kicked out of Eden, right? Oh, it's worse. And then we realized, no, we're out of Eden, but we're still in God's presence, right? And then we see Cain get kicked out of God's presence, and we think it's all lost, right? And the writer's saying, no, it's not all lost. You may be out of paradise, and you may be out of God's presence, but God's common grace is still bestowed upon wandering men and women, right? God refuses to utterly abandon us because at the end of the day, we're made in his image. And so you see this idea that there's thriving and blessings. And so that's the first thing we see here, is that God's true to his word and that he blesses. But you also get this sense of Cain's attitude. Right? What is the first thing Cain does when he gets to Nod, which is the land of wandering, right? He's not showing up at a town of Nod. He's out in the wilderness, and what does he do? He builds a city, Right? He builds a city and he names it after his son. And as the, as the text develops and grows, you get the distinct feeling that Cain is somehow satisfied with his life of wandering. I, I am curious to know, right, if, if he was truly mourning, if he was mournful, if he cried out to the Lord, if on his wandering ways he repented daily of his sins, woe is me, for I have been a rebellious son of God. I rejected the Lord. If he would but have me back, what do you think he would have done when his son was born and came of age? He would have said, Son, do not stay here in this land of wandering. This is my curse. Go back. Right? But what does he do? He says, I'll tell you what. If you stay here, I'll name a city after you. Right? We don't need God. And I think that it, this is what's going on here. He's, Cain's attitude from the beginning is, I don't need God. Right? The work of the field, that the offerings I gave him, I, I brought that fruit out of the ground. I made it. These are my achievements. This is my wealth. These are my children. Look how my children are doing. I don't need God. What need do I have of God? That is the line of Cain. The line of Cain cries out, what need do we have of God? We have been put to the land of wandering and we've done just fine. We've built our own cities. We've achieved advancements. Our kids are well-educated and accomplished and attractive. There's wealth. What need do we have of God? And the whole lineage builds this trajectory, right? Notice the lineage starts with Cain, and it says a few things about Cain. He has a son Enoch. He builds a village, a city, has his wife, right? But then this is what the lineage does. It goes into a very rote rhythm. Cain, Enoch, Erod, name, 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 name. It says nothing about any of them but their names, right? Mahuziel, Methusiel, just, right, it's a pretty simple list of very non-simple names, and then you get to the end of the list, and it it stops and starts to talk again. It says, "And there's this Lamech, and then when you get to Lamech, you see three things: you see polygamy, you see achievement, and you see utter and complete contempt for the Lord." Right, this kind of uh, ancient text where where Lamech makes this like this vow. I would translate it for you like this: What Lamech is saying is, is You think God protected Cain. You think Cain was safe, right? Right, Because God said, if anybody harms Cain, I'll damage him seven, seven times. Lamech says, if you even look at me the wrong way, I will avenge myself 77 times. And since he's saying, I don't need God to protect me seven times, the hands of Lamech will protect Lamech 77 times. And so this trajectory, that's what the lineage is doing. It tells you a lot about the beginning. It skips to let you know that there's time that's gone on in blessing and it brings you to the end and it says, now look where Lamech is, the son of 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 Cain. Utterly and completely prideful and arrogant and he sees no need for God in his life. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in my own life, in certain areas, right? Right? or in the lives of those around me conversations that occur right? you and I we accomplish this is an accomplished church we are accomplishers we achieve we master, we succeed we raise kids who accomplish and achieve and master and succeed they're going to do well they're going to go here, they're going to do that we're going to have a, a name that will reign they'll know my name right? when I go to work people know who of course they know who I am It's right? like three of us here but you know what? Like, but you know, if, you're like, if, you, if you go to your work where there's like 3,000, it's nice that people know your name. It's nice that they read your email first thing when they get in the morning. That feels good, right? And we run the risk, being an achieving culture, of finding out at the end of the day what need do we have of God. We did this it, all through college. I was frustrated when someone would get up on stage and say, I don't know where I would be without the Lord today. I just don't think I could make it a single day in my life. The prideful heart I had in college when I was immortal was like, that is ridiculous. I can tell you exactly where I'd be without the Lord. I'd be right here, achieving. I'm capable. I'm gifted. Right? Yeah, I got helped out a few places, right? But how quickly we forget that the only reason we're alive is because God has marked us and preserved us. Right? And by the time you get to Lamech, there's no remembrance of that whatsoever. No remembrance of the fact that the entire reason uh, Cain is even in the land of wandering is because God did not snuff him out when he could have and would have been fully justified. What need do we have of God? That's what we in our culture constantly ask. Where is God? What need do we have of God? Well, we're not going to answer that today, but we'll answer it next Sunday when we talk about the flood. Your accomplishments, if if done in the land of wandering, are in vain. The things you have, the family you raise, the places you're going, your recognition, if it is done in a land of wandering, it will be flooded. It will be destroyed, and it will not be remembered. That's the lineage of wandering. But there's another lineage in Scripture. It follows immediately. Let me read verse 25 and 26 of the fourth chapter. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, just think of this. We just finished this perilous lineage of denial and right, casting away. Cain made God wander from him as much as God made Cain wander. Right? And we get all the way there, and then if, if I could, like, re-message this up for you here, just translate it the way I understand it. Verse 25 and 26, it would sound like this. But wait. There's another lineage. There's another line. And this one called on the name of God. Cain never called God's name. Cain never responded to God, but this line, this line called on the name of God. And then as we head into chapter 5, the whole chapter is dedicated to this different line. Right? The whole chapter. Right? And we get to, to chapter 5, and this is how it starts. It starts back with Adam, not with Seth. And it, it reminds us, I'll just read the first two verses. It says, when God, this is the written account of Adam's line, not Cain's, Adam's. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. That's how it starts. You have this line of Cain that just utterly spirals down into the of We have no need for God. Where is God? We have a city and a valley of wandering, by golly. We're doing great, right? As raindrops start falling, right? And there's this other line that says, But there's a different line. And remember, God started out making us in his image. And to be in his image is to call on his name. And that is what's different about this line. I'm not going to read this line to you. It's in your bulletin, the names. It does a very similar thing as the line of Cain, which is it it has this really profound rhythm of saying the same thing over and over and over again, except which should make, every time you see that in Scripture, by the way, you should pause when you see something different. You know, so like when they're giving a lineage of Jesus and they tell you, by the way, oh yeah, and this one was married to Ruth, and they stop and they tell you the mother's name, right? It's probably make you wonder, I wonder if there's a book named after that lady. You know what I mean? So when, there's a, when, when there is a, a pause, like when it says about Enoch, you know, everybody's dying and dying and dying, and it gets to Enoch and it says, and Enoch walked with God and was no more, right? We should go, whoa, that is pretty profound. Right? Or when it gets to Lamech, the other Lamech, the Lamech of uh, in Adam and Seth's line, it gets to Lamech's line, and you see a prayer almost that comes from Lamech about if the Lord would save them from their challenges. right? And Lamech's son is Noah. And it should pause, make you pause and realize that. And so that's where we get. With this chapter 5, is another list with another rhythm, but there's certain things that are different. And there's certain details, and I said last week as this week, whenever we get to details... And primeval, ancient history of Genesis, we need to stop. Because you and I are detailed people. We like data. We want to plot it and graph it and send it somewhere and uh, graph it and plot it. <laughs> but that's what we do. And so when we see these details, this is generally two ways that we walk away from chapter 5. The first way we walk away from chapter 5 is we walk away thinking it's a science report on the longevity of mankind. I I mean, I'll be honest, it was me the way. For years I read this, and that's what I walk away with. I read this whole chapter and go, did Methuselah really live to be 969 years old? That's the only thing, that's the only significance of this whole chapter to me. Bagat, 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 969, bagat, bagat, bagat. Right? You know, and so that's the first thing that we run the risk of, is saying, is that, it's a science report. Another risk that we walk away of is walking away from this saying, what this really is, is if you add all these ages up, because there's a lineage, right? Because this one goes from Adam to Noah. And in chapter 10 of Genesis, this one goes from Noah to Abraham. And we know that Abraham is about 5,000 B.C., 4,000 B.C., excuse me. So one other science project we do is we go, well, I'll tell you what, if you add all these ages up, all of them up, what you can do is start at 4,000 B.C. and work our way back, and we can figure out how old the Earth is. And that's our science project. And I would, I would encourage you today that chapter 5 should be viewed in light of chapter 4. It's telling us about families. And it's telling us to go somewhere with this. Follow this line where it leads. And so we'll talk a little bit about why I think those are inappropriate ways. We won't talk much, but you can, uh, if that's the way you read it, you can, you can h- send the emails to me, and we'll work it out offline. But uh, though, coming up, we're going to look at some things. You're getting, a, you're getting your own graph with data points here. All right. Since i got a mic, you can hear me even though I face this way. You got uh, the line of Cain on the left. You got the line of uh, Adam on the right or Seth on the right. First thing you should notice is the line of Cain on the left is seven, right? So that's an author's way of telling you it's a complete list. So it's saying, I'm telling you completely what's happened to the line of Lamech. There's nothing else you need to know, nothing of importance, okay? The line on the right is ten, which is another ancient number of completeness. So when we unearth Hittite tablets of their kings, they're they're giving us the list of ten, we want to find ancient lists of families. They're giving us to lists of 10. And so the one on the right is also a complete list, but it is more complete, right? It's a, more, it's a better number of completeness. So that's the first thing, right? The whole idea that the one on the right is more detailed should make us understand that the Bible wants us to, to pay attention to the line on the right and the line on the right. Here's a few other things. If you could uh, clickety click. All right, there's the list. One more time. you also see they both end. And kind of a horizontal lineage. So it's vertical. Who begat, who begat, who begat, who begat, who begat. And then you get to the bottom and it says children. Right? And so that's another way that is telling us view these lines in relationship to one another. And the line on the left tells a line of worldly achievement in a land of wandering that does not call on the name of the Lord. And the other line says, these are the three sons by which I repopulate the entire earth. See how that's significant? All right, other things that are significant. Clickety. Uh, notice parallel names. There's two Enochs, right? There's two Lamechs, but the Lamech on the left is really, really bad. And the Lamech on the right did what? He gave birth to Noah. It's not so bad, right? He even has this little like blessing prayer thing. So you have that. Here's another one. Here's another relationship. The Enoch on the right, who is the Enoch that didn't die, who went to be with God and was no more, is the seventh in that generation, which is the same as the evil Lamech on the left. So what, what the author is saying is by the time you get to the seventh guy, on this side, he's really good. And on this side, he's as bad as he gets. One more the endpoints. Right? Pay attention to the endpoints of this lineage, because you know what? Genesis 4, 24 is the last time we will ever talk about the line of Cain through Lamech. Because it's dead. But the line of Noah is alive. Right? We start. We start in Genesis 1 with the creation of the earth, and then we start with Adam, and and then we get this line to Noah. And then in Genesis chapter 10, it starts again, and it picks up at Noah, and it gets to Abraham. And then Genesis slows way down and says, and Abraham gave birth to Isaac. And Isaac gave birth to Jacob, but we renamed Jacob Israel because he had 12 sons. And these 12 sons are the sons of the promise. And then when he's talking about these 12 sons, he's, you can follow the lineage all the way through the Exodus. They, they do it, right? And then you get to this concern about the tribe of Judah. There's start to be prophecy and hinting that something is significant about Judah, right? And then the kings come out of Judah. And the Bible painstakingly says, pay attention to the kings of Judah. That's why we have books called Kings. And so we're all the way, we're paying attention to the kings of Judah and they go and they go and they go and we can follow them and follow them. And the last two lineages found in Scripture are in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. And it ends with a king of Judah named Jesus. But it's different. It starts at Jesus and goes back in time. It doesn't start at Adam and work to Jesus. It says Jesus was the son of, the son of, the son of. And Scripture's telling you that the line on the right The line of Noah is a line that continues. It's going in a direction. It's going somewhere. And when you get to Matthew 1, it says the line has stopped. There's nothing here to pay attention to except that this line ends at never-ending life. And that is the line of Noah. And so that's what we're called to pay attention to, that there are two lines here today. There is a line of Cain that is concerned about worldly achievement, There's a line of Cain that's concerned about success, what your children can do, how well they're educated. And there is a line of Seth that calls on the name of the Lord. It isn't a line of perfection. It's a line that calls on God. It isn't a line of achievement. It's a line that calls on God. It isn't a line that is worried about um, how much it's done or how much it's raised. It's simply a line that calls out to God. And in the name of Enoch, it walks with God. And in Noah's father Lamech, it prays to God. It is a line that responds to God. And so I would ask you this morning, who's your parents? And what is your line? Now, some of you may be saying, well, if John's right, and I'm right. If he's right, then I guess I'm doomed, right? Because I don't even call myself Christian. My parents aren't Christian. I don't know a lot of Bible answers. I can't sit here and tell you all this stuff, right? All of this was begat, begat, begat before I came in this Sunday, so I guess I'm in the line of Cain. And maybe you are. But I would encourage you this way, that none of us in this room ended up in the line of Seth by birth. Right? This is spiritual lineages, and you and I and everyone in this planet was born into the line of Cain through Lamech. We were born wanderers in a land of wandering. We were born, you don't have to teach a child to base their life on success and achievement. They'll figure that out all by themselves. Right? One of the first thoughts a young child expresses is, look what I have done myself. And stop helping me, Dad. I'll do it. Right? They, they try to wander from the word go. From an experienced wanderer. Trust me. Right? And so we all start there. But there's this idea in Scripture that we are born wanderers, but there is a concept called adoption as sons. And so you may be born in the line of Cain, but God says, but I will adopt you as my son into the line of Adam through the death and resurrection of second Adam. Right? So we have the Scriptures of being adopted as a son or this idea of being a branch cut from one tree and regrafted into another. Right? Or this idea of being born again resurrected into a new life and a new lineage, or this idea of wandering in the wilderness for a long time and then being brought into the promised land by our Heavenly Father. These themes suffocate Scripture. So the point isn't where you were born. The point is, have you placed yourself up for adoption? If you're already on the line on the left... Then these are the questions I would ask you. How do you mark your life on earth? Is it by the things you do? Is it by the stuff you've gained? Is it by your income? Is it by your success? Is it by your beauty? Is it by how well your children have succeeded? What picture are you painting for your children? Let me ask you this. Do you sit down with your children every night of the week during the school year and do homework and yet never pray with them? Because are you painting a picture of a land of Nod for your children? Are you saying to them, what is important in your life is that you do well with what God has given you? If you even say that. And so I would encourage you to think about the story you're telling your kids. Are you leading them to cry out for adoption? Or are you leading them to say, what need do I have of God? Of the 75 events that you take your children to, how many of them have anything to do with God's faith? And I'm not saying don't take them. You've got to go to t-ball practice. Right? You've got to learn how to throw and catch. But I'm saying, are you mindful of the trends that you establish in your families? To say, I need to offset this mindset. I need to take them and say, you got to go to t-ball practice, but you've got to understand that t-ball, being really good at t-ball, is not being really good. There's something bigger in life because there are only two lines. There are only two families. And you know what? Cain was a son of God also. Cain spoke with God. Cain brought offerings to God. And Cain's children grew up just like him. So, to which family do you belong?